0: Uh, well, friends, uh, I don't know how much you would pay for a Bible, but a while back, an American man bought a Bible owned by the late Elvis Presley for 92000 Australian dollars. Uh, apparently, the Bible was given to Elvis uh, in 1957 as a Christmas gift, and uh, it was the Bible that he re- he read and continued to read Uh, up until his tragic death in 1977. Uh, It must have been a Bible that was well read because uh, when it went to auction, you could actually see Elvis's handwritten notes um, and uh, things that he had underlined uh, on the pages of this Bible. Uh, But one of the parts that the Bible was most... uh, One of the parts um, that... Uh, Was most heavily crumpled uh, in this Bible and most heavily underlined was a part in uh, the gospel accounts of, of Jesus where Jesus says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the world, the whole world, and yet forfeit his soul? You see, he was a man who had everything that money can buy and yet was wrestling with where his soul would be for the rest of eternity. He was a man who had gained the whole world, if you like, and yet was troubled by the state of his soul before God. Uh, Well, we've been looking at John's letters uh, for the last little while in our church, and uh, today we come to the final letter, uh, which is 3 John. Uh, It's actually the shortest book uh, in the entire Bible, Um, and so it won't take us very long to work our way through it this morning. Uh, But you can see there in verse 1 that this is is a letter written by someone who describes himself as the elder, Uh, whom we saw last week is probably the Apostle John. Uh, I won't go into all the reasons why uh, uh, I think it's the Apostle John, uh, but uh, you can uh, catch up on our YouTube channel uh, if you like. However, unlike 2 John, which was written to a a church, this letter, you'll notice, is written to a particular individual called Gaius. Now, this is a very affectionate letter. I wonder whether you notice that. Uh, John, in this letter, is very affectionate towards Gaius, for you can see there that John sprinkles the, the language of love uh, all the way through this letter, a bit like salt and pepper. Uh, he calls Gaius, for example, as his beloved in verses one and two and five and 11. He says that he loves him in truth, again in verse 1. Uh, He includes Gaius as one of his spiritual children in verse 4, and so on. But the thing that is striking here, I think, is that John can say Gaius is someone whose soul is well before God. Gaius is someone whose soul is doing well. Uh, you can see it there in verse 2, can't you? Have a look with me at verse 2. It says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now, Do you see what John is saying here? He's saying that uh, everything is well with, God, with Gaius's soul. Uh, everything is healthy. Uh, everything is prospering. Is, is what it means literally, about Gaius' soul. And just as Gaius is in good spiritual health, uh, John prays that he will also be in good physical health. But what he is saying here, friends, is extraordinary. For he is saying that here is a man who, in the face of eternity, can say that his soul is well before God. Uh, We've just witnessed the baptism of Evelyn this morning. Uh, I'm sure Jono and Bindi uh, desire to have a a healthy and bubbly child as uh, Evelyn grows up. uh, You can see uh, that she's quite healthy uh, physically at the moment from her chubby cheeks and uh, the rolls of fat on her arms. But an even more important question is whether she will grow up spiritually healthy, whether she will be someone who we can say it is well with her soul. But what about you and me? Is everything well uh, with your soul and my soul in the face of eternity? How can you know whether your soul is doing well? Well, uh, if you read on, you can see that John gives a reason for why he knows that all is well with Gaius' soul. Uh, And the reason that Gaius is someone uh, who is well, spiritually, is because he is somebody who knows the truth and is walking in the truth. He is someone who knows the truth and is walking in the truth. You can see it there in verse 3, can't you? Verse 3, which begins with the word for It says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You see, uh, John must have had some friends uh, who are described here as brothers um, who have been sent to the church that Gaius is is a part of. Uh, They've spent a bit of time with Gaius. And now they've returned uh, to the Apostle John. And they've returned with the great news that Gaius is somebody who knows the truth and is walking in the truth. But what is the truth? Well, uh, in John's writings, uh, the truth is the person of Jesus. Uh, You might remember the famous verse in uh, John's Gospel in chapter 14 where Jesus famously says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so to know the truth is to know Jesus himself. But who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, Well, if you've been following John's letters closely, uh, you will know that again and again, John says that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, The word Christ simply means uh, the Messiah uh, or the the universal king, God's chosen king who, who rules the world. And so the one who knows Jesus is the one who knows Jesus as that king. He's the one who has submitted his life to that king as the one who rules over his life and has authority over his life. But it's not as though Jesus is an oppressive king like all the other kings and rulers of this world. No. For Jesus is the king who comes to lay down his very own life at the cross so that his, his blood spilt on the cross can cleanse sinners like you and me from our sin and wrongdoing before God. You see, if our sin is not cleansed, if our guilt is not dealt with, then it is impossible to say, all is well with my soul in the face of eternity. For the guilt and shame and stain that uh, sullies our souls will remain. Uh, Some of you know that next year is the the Soccer World Cup. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the Soccer World Cup. But uh, there's a very famous image uh, of the 1966 World Cup, which uh, England won uh, on English soil. I know that's not uh, good news for for some of us, but uh, 1966, uh, England won the World Cup. Uh, But uh, the really famous image is of the captain of the English team, um, Going up the stadium to receive the the trophy uh, from the queen herself. Uh, But uh, as he walks up uh, these stairs uh, to approach the queen, he realizes that the queen is wearing these pristine white gloves. And so as he goes up the stadium, you can actually see him trying to wipe the grime and the dirt off his hands so that he can be in a state fit to meet the queen. If dirt prevents us from shaking hands with the Queen, then how much does the stain of our sin and the guilt of our sin and wrongdoing before God come between us and a holy and righteous God who cannot look upon sin? And yet, Jesus is the one who, by dying on the cross, cleanses us from sin, So that the one who knows this Jesus is the one who knows that his or her sin has been dealt with. The guilt has been removed. And so that we can say, it is well with my soul. However, notice, friends, what it means to know this truth about Jesus. Uh, For you can see there that John rejoices, not only because uh, Gaius says he knows the truth, but because he is also, notice, walking in the truth. In other words, the person who truly knows Jesus is not just somebody who gives intellectual assent to the things that have to do with Jesus, but he is the one who allows this truth to transform the way that he or she lives or walks. Now friends, do you know Jesus in this way? I know that many of us here do know Jesus in this way. But if you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus, then why don't you come to him today? And why don't you receive him as your king, as your Christ, as the gracious and loving ruler of your life, the one who has laid down his very own life on the cross for you? This is simply not a matter of preference. Uh, You know, so many people think that religious claims are a matter of preference, don't they? You know, some people prefer to know Jesus, Uh, other people prefer to know Allah, and still other people prefer to know Buddha, and uh, they are all true in, in their own way, some people say. But no, what the Bible is claiming is that Jesus is the only truth and I cannot say that all is well with my soul unless I know him and unless I walk with him. Do you know Jesus uh, in this way? And so uh, the one who can say all is well with my soul is the one who knows the truth and uh, walks in the truth. But the one who genuinely walks in the truth you'll notice, is the one who also loves others. Uh, You see, in John's writings, truth always produces love. That's why if there is a Christian person who persistently fails to love other people, then it's very hard to conclude that they actually know the truth, isn't it? But here, notice that in our passage this morning, Gaius not only knows the truth, but demonstrates love, and uh, particularly to those whose work it is to proclaim the name of Jesus. Uh, And so let's pick it up from verse 5. If you have your Bibles there, have a look with me at verse 5. It says there, Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, Who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And therefore, we ought to support people like this, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Uh, You see, it's obvious that there were some Christian missionaries uh, who travelled around telling people about Jesus. And uh, some of them uh, travel to Gaius' church. Uh, if you remember from last week, uh, John wrote uh, to, the, to the church that if uh, false teachers come to your church, then you are not to show them any hospitality. But the people that John writes about here are not in the same category. They're not false teachers. They are called brothers, even though they were strangers to Gaius. And uh, you can see there that Gaius is commended for his efforts in showing hospitality to them. Uh, Perhaps he he took these traveling missionaries into his own home. Uh, Perhaps he provided them with uh, food and and, and lodging. Uh, Perhaps he supplied them financially uh, for, for their needs. But notice that John urges Gaius to keep on showing hospitality to traveling missionaries. And to provide for them with the greatest of care. Uh, It's extraordinary. But he says, treat them in a manner worthy of God, he says. Treat them with the utmost care and respect, worthy of God himself. Why? Uh, Well, in verse 7, it's because these are the people who have gone out for the sake of the name of Jesus. They are the people who have left home and left families so that they can proclaim Jesus and honour his name. And further, these missionaries are not receiving any money from Gentile uh, pagans and so they are dependent on the generosity of uh, of Christian people like Gaius. And so it is right to support such missionaries. And I love what John says in verse 8. Because in verse 8, John says that supporting missionaries is not just a dry sort of Christian duty, but it is actually the privilege of being fellow workers in the truth of the gospel. You see it there? Uh, I'm reading a biography of uh, William Tyndale at the moment. Uh, Hands up if you know who William Tyndale is. Uh, Who is William Tyndale? Uh, A few people. Kerry shot her hand up. Um. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, part of the Reformation of the 16th century. Uh, He was actually the the man who um, first translated the New Testament from its original language of Greek into English. And so he gave us uh, our, our very first... Uh, usable English translation of the Bible. Uh, he was a great man uh, because not only did his Bible bring salvation to countless people uh, down through the ages, but it also shaped the very English language that we speak at the moment, as well as the Bibles that we use today. Uh, a lot of the phrases that we find uh, in our English Modern English translations uh, actually come from Tyndale himself, but not many people have heard of the name Henry Monmouth. Uh, I'd be surprised if uh, we've heard of uh, a person by the name of Henry Monmouth. Does anyone know who he is? Uh, there you go. Uh, no, no one's heard of Henry Monmouth. Uh, sorry, not Henry Monmouth. His name's Humphrey Monmouth. See, I don't I don't, even, I, don't I don't, I don't even know him very well. Uh, Humphrey Monmouth <laughs> was, a, was a wealthy cloth merchant who basically bankrolled the work of William Tyndale. Uh, he was a wealthy man, and so he gave him a place to stay uh, so that he could do his uh, translation work. Uh, he pr- provided food and money. Uh, he provided personal encouragement. Uh, and in the end, he used his very own business connections, uh, and the ships that he used uh, to transport cloth into England to actually smuggle copies of the English New Testament into England. Uh, At that time, the English New Testament, believe it or not, was illegal in in England. And so uh, after Tyndale produced uh, his English New Testaments uh, in Europe... Uh, Henry Monmouth uh, uh, Monmouth, Humphrey Monmouth uh, and his uh, business partners uh, took these English Bibles um, wrapped them up put them in sacks of flour uh, put them in watertight containers and put them in wine barrels and they smuggled thousands and thousands of these English Bibles uh, into England. Uh, You see, uh, William Tyndale could not have done his work without the loving support of people like Humphrey Monmouth. Uh, I love it that in kids' church today, uh, our kids are are actually writing letters uh, to our link missionaries uh, in order to encourage and support them. Uh, I know that uh, many of our missionaries love uh, to receive letters and uh, receive encouragement in that way. But uh, I want to ask us that this morning uh, how, are you, how are you and I going in supporting and encouraging our missionaries? Uh, I'm very thankful to God that uh, we have uh, very generous uh, people and uh, ministers like uh, me and Kevin and others uh, we're very well provided for uh, financially and materially. And yet I want to suggest that the work of the gospel, friends, is much bigger than simply what goes on here at Church at Nine and in our parish, as good as that is. Our church is linked with a number of missionaries who have left homes and families in order to tell the world about Jesus so that his name might be honoured in Japan and in South Asia and in Nepal and many other parts of the world. Do you know who they are? Do you know the names of their children and what some of their needs are? Do you know about the work they do? Do you pray for them? Do you give your money to them? Uh, Now this week uh, we begin a new term uh, in our growth groups. And uh, I want to give a bit of a challenge uh, to our uh, growth group leaders uh, and and the groups that they lead to use this term to try and find ways in which we can lovingly support and encourage our missionaries. Um, There are many different ways in which we can do it. Um, uh, There are lots of needs out there in terms of Our missionaries. But let me encourage you to love our missionaries because they need our support and our encouragement as people who want the same thing, as people who want to see the truth of the gospel making progress all around the world. Uh, Well, finally, uh, friends, uh, the one who can say it is well with my soul is the one who knows. Uh, the truth and who is walking in the truth. Uh, We've seen that the one who walks in the truth is the one who loves others. But the one who walks in the truth in this letter is also the one who imitates godly examples. Uh, You can see it there in verse 11, can't you? Verse 11, John says to Gaius, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And you can see there that John actually, in this letter, mentions two specific people to Gaius. Uh, The first person is mentioned in verse 9. His name is Diotrephus. Uh, He is clearly someone that Gaius is not to imitate. Uh, What is he like? Well, in verse 9, he is somebody who is described as uh, as someone who likes to put himself first. In other words, he's selfish. He's proud. Again, in verse 9, he is someone who does not acknowledge the authority of the apostles. And in particular, the letter that the apostle John had written to his church. In fact, in verse 10, he is involved in malicious gossip against the apostles. He's somebody who speaks wicked nonsense against them. And finally, towards the end of verse 10, we can see that this man also lacks love. He not only refuses to welcome the brothers or the travelling missionaries and to offer them hospitality, but he goes one step further And he stops others who want to care for them and kicks them out of church. I think the picture here is of someone who is not necessarily a false teacher, but somebody who may have been a leader in the church who is selfish and power hungry and who will bully others in order to get his way. Don't imitate that kind of person says the Apostle John. But the second person that John mentions is very different, isn't it? Uh, You can see him in verse 12. John mentions a man called Demetrius. Uh, He is likely to be the one who uh, actually carried this letter that John had written uh, to Gaius himself. But he is someone who is worthy of imitation, for you can see what people are saying about him. Uh, In verse 12, he is someone who has received a good testimony from everyone. Uh, People are speaking well of him. But perhaps more importantly, he has received a good testimony from the truth uh, itself. In other words, uh, his life life is is the one that lines up with the truth of the gospel. And finally, the apostles also testify about this man. Uh, John also is willing to personally back this man as somebody who knows the truth and whose life accords with the truth. And so John says, it's people like this that you are to imitate. So much of our learning comes from imitating others, doesn't it? Uh, When I go to my son's taekwondo class, um, I've noticed that Uh, A lot of what they learn is done by imitation. Uh, The people who are on their black belts do their thing, and the others who are not black belt watch, and they imitate what is being done. But it's also the same uh, with the Christian life, isn't it? Uh, So much of the Christian life is caught through imitation, as well as being taught, uh, who are the people that you and I try to consciously imitate in our Christian lives? Uh, are we attracted to leaders like Diotrephus because you know they look impressive, perhaps powerful, successful, talented, able to get things done because they're able to push people around? Are they the kind of leaders that we look up to and aspire to be like? Or are we attracted to the Demetriuses of this world? Those who are servant-minded and godly and whose lives accord with the truth of God's word. Walk in the truth, says John, by imitating people like this one. Uh, That's why, friends, uh, Jono and Bindi and Rusty and Linda have uh, such an important part to play uh, as uh, Evelyn grows up in the faith, don't they? For she is going to be watching their example. Uh, We believe that by God's grace, uh, his goodness extends to the children of those who trust in Christ. But one day, Evelyn will need to own that faith for herself. And so we need to pray that the loons and the yees will be the kind of parents and the godparents whose lives are worthy of imitation so that Evelyn can see their lives and joyfully come to know the truth for herself. For it is only in this truth that one can say that all is well with my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together this morning and we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth and the life. We thank you for his death which cleanses us from sin and for his resurrection that gives us new life. We pray that you would help us to know him and to trust him so that we might, together with Gaius, be able to say that all is well with our souls. Uh, We pray in particular this morning for those whose souls might be troubled, uh, those who might be unsure, uh, that you would comfort them with a knowledge of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Father, we also give you praise and thanks this morning for Evelyn. We thank you that in your kindness you have given her parents who know the truth and walk in the truth. And we pray that as Evelyn grows up that you would not only give her good health but that you would, by your grace, help her to know the truth of Christ for herself and walk with him in her life. Now Please be with Jono and Bindi and Rusty and Linda and with us all so that we might live godly lives worthy of imitation, so that Evelyn might be attracted to the one that we are imitating. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.